The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, working our fingers to the bone here, making sure that you have the best source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And for those of you who are here in the greater Cincinnati area, there's a exciting meeting coming up tomorrow night at Cincinnati RIA. Anthony Chara, our uh, our friend who was on the air a couple of weeks ago giving us an apartment update, is uh, here from Denver, and he's going to be speaking tomorrow night about the Cincinnati market specifically and how one might go about buying one's first apartment building, uh, whether or not you've got experience doing other things. That's the Made meeting at the early meeting. Uh, we'll be talking about finding deals in an inventory tight market. That is for new investors, for experienced investors. Uh, one of our board members, Felicia Bell, will talk about the things you need to think through and do when you are transitioning out of a job and into full time real estate. There's more information and a free guest pass on about this meeting on the web at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. We look forward to seeing you there tomorrow night. Uh, this week is one of our X Factor Investor Weeks here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's a interview we started doing at the beginning of the year with folks who don't have courses to sell, aren't you know nat- nationally known, but have reached the pinnacle of their business, whatever their business happens to be. My guest today is Joe Lieber, who is the broker president of Real Estate Quest. He started in real estate in 1998. He's bought and sold more than 700 houses since then. And although he's been involved in lots of aspects of the brokerage side and management and landlording and wholesaling and multifamily, uh, since 2004, he has uh, had this company, Real Estate Crest, which is a full-service brokerage specializing in investment properties. He also owns over 150 units, mostly on the west side of Cleveland, and works with national and international buyers uh, to help them buy income-producing cash flow investments. Joining us from his home in the Cleveland area is Joe Lieber. Joe, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Hi, Vina. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am I am glad to get the chance to talk to you. Uh, we have you and I have never really met, but uh, we have some friends in common. And every time I say to somebody, "Man, these low income rentals are driving me crazy," 
they say, you should talk to Joe Lieber. That's a guy who's got it all figured out. <laughs> so can you can you talk to us a little bit about um, the evolution of your business? Because you've been doing it since 98. So you went through the big boom and bust. And where you sort of landed now and why that works for you. Sure. I'd love to. So it's been a long way up. You know, and hopefully through this uh, radio interview here, we can give away some nuggets and some listeners out there, I can give them the keys to the elevator so they don't have to take the stairs, as I like to say. So low-income housing, now that's where I shine. It's an underserved market, and it is a a phenomenal opportunity to help people uh, get quality housing, and it can be very lucrative, especially here in the Midwest. So... Just to jump right into it, you know, I started in 1998 buying rentals. And with no money, really, yeah, we have to finance these things. And you don't know really what you're doing, so I'm financing things on 30-year mortgages. And there's always still the minimum loan issues and all that good stuff. And there would be cash flow, of course, right? That's what we're into it for. I thought I was going to be a cash flow millionaire. If I just can get me 20 or 30 of these things, I'm never going to worry about money again. So at that time, when you buy these houses, you know, the cash flow can be, you know, two two fifty a month. Nothing too crazy with debt service. And I quickly saw that after I got myself to about 2025, that the cash flow, I ended up putting right back into the properties. Whether it's through vacancy, uh, maintenance, turnovers. And it was, uh, it was tough, to say the least. There's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the pinnacle, you know, just to jump into it quickly is, uh, the arc was, I realized buy cheap houses and get them paid for as fast as you can. So I built my business on five year amortization financing. And what that means is I would buy a house. Actually, I would buy a block of homes, four to five homes. I would borrow a hundred thousand dollars from my rich friends, as I would call it. I would overpay them on interest. I'd pay 12 to 15% on a five-year amortization, but I knew in five years I had all these houses paid for. So I might not cash flow today, but I was looking for tomorrow because real estate is a get-rich-slow business, not a get-rich-fast business. You never forget that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And then there's many, many tricks that we'll talk about on how to get these assets to perform. But that's how I built myself to 150 properties that are now almost all paid for mm-hmm. and it's, the cash flows are unbelievable and you know what's what's interesting what's going to be interesting to longtime listeners let me say that if this is if this is folks first time tuning into real life real estate investing they might think that everybody who comes on here likes those cheap low-income rentals because they're cheap right and yeah especially in cleveland ohio you know this isn't we don't mm-hmm. we don't we don't live in in San Francisco, where properties sell for $2,800 a square foot. We live in a place where you can buy properties literally for, you know, an all-in price of thirty-five dollars to $45,000, including all of the repairs and all of the stabilization. And I think yep. a lot of listeners probably think, well, of course, you know, that's what everybody wants to buy. But we have had two other X-Factor investors here since the beginning of the year. Now, let me remind you, it's only March who have said low-income property is a losing proposition. 
that you should you should not buy low income rental properties. So this goes goes to show you that uh, lots of people have very strong opinions in the real estate business, and it is in fact their opinion, and that there are folks making money in every aspect of the real estate investing business. And we're going to find out more about how Joe Lieber does that after we take this quick break. If you have questions, this is a great time to call 877-772-9658. You can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's, a, it's an X-Factor Investor interview. This is... Uh, one of the shows that we do to just sort of dig down into the mindsets, the philosophies, the habits, the strategies of people who have uh, taken the same information and education that's available to each and every one of us and turned it into a real, sustaining, prosperous business. And today my guest is Joe Lieber, who is from the Cleveland area, who... Uh, specializes in low-income rentals and also is now working with other folks to buy properties in that area. 877-772-9658 is the number to call with any questions that you might have for Joe, or you can also hit me up via email at askvina at gmail.com. That's ask, V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. So Joe, one of the things that I noticed in your bio that you sent over is that you said when you started this business that you have now, you started it with your wife and family. What happened to never do business with family? Tell you what, that might apply for some people, but we have a family operation that I'm, I'm running here and we all really, I'm not saying this to be cheesy. We all get along really good. And I, I wonder sometimes why. Why do we get along real well? And and it's almost because there's not two bulls in the room. There's one bull, and these are the drivers. Uh-huh. They help me drive. It's almost like the visionary and the integrator uh-huh. for anyone who read Rocket Fuel. You're also the third X Factor investor who's mentioned that book. <laughs> Just oh yeah, there's something no, there's it, something it, in we'll common. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, several, several people have talked about uh, uh, both that and traction. So um, I think we're seeing, I think we're starting to see a trend here amongst the high level real estate community on what systems they are putting in place to run their business. But yeah, continue continue with this thought about your family because you you do know. That, that, that that does not work for a lot of people, right? Of course. I, you know, I hear that all the time. And, and, and that, you have to know your roles. You know, I'm the visionary in our business. And my wife and my mother, who works there, are the integrators. You know, and, and they know the roles. They do them very well. And as long as I'm not stepping in their territory and they're not stepping to mine, fine. But we collaborate real well together as a group, too. And that has to be done in the organization. But I learned those things in, in, in the real estate books, really, like rocket fuel. There's a lot of great books out there. I know that's one of the things you want to talk about a little later on, but there's a lot of great books out there, you know, from the books that motivate you, from the Robert Kiyosaki's, all the way to once you're actually in business and, hey, I got this thing set up, how do I actually run it to the tractions and the rocket fuels and things of that nature? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you 
separate when you when you're working that closely with your family how do you separate the business part from the personal part like when you guys sit down at thanksgiving dinner is it all hey did we get that property rented or can you actually have conversations like a normal family no of course not it's all about the dead property rent <laughs> of course <laughs> but it's great you know we love it it gives us the biggest thing with real estate is we get the freedom real estate gives you a lot of freedom and and there's a lot of passion we love the business so freedom and passion and it's okay to talk about that, you know. I don't really want to talk about Aunt Betty's fifth surgery she's having this month. You know, we we enjoy talking about real estate, and that that's where the drive comes. So it's okay to talk about that. We we don't we don't talk not talk about that at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did you all do before you were in the real estate business? For me, I got graduate high school in 1997, and coming from the the Midwest, blue collar town, Cleveland, Ohio, is for the most part. My folks were, my mom was a secretary. My dad was a uh, mechanic, you know, and I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, they wanted me to go to college and get a degree and, and go down that corporate America road. And I knew right as a high school senior, that's not for me. You know, I, I'm really tired of school. I don't want to go do that. And I sure as heck don't want to work in a factory like my dad. My mom worked at Key Bank as a, you know, an admin, a secretary, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I just didn't want to follow that road. So I started reading the Donald Trump books and Russ Whitney and Carlton Sheets before they were really even popular. And I, I, I just figured real estate would be a great way to go. Let's go down this road and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Didn't know how hard it was going to be, but I started going down that road immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your first, your first move was, was actually by rentals, being that young. Yeah, I didn't know, you know. It, it, so what I did was I, I, when I graduated high school, I had a friend who got a good job out of high school. He got a construction worker. I'll never forget it. It was June 1997, and he had a job in construction making $20 an hour. Let me tell you something, Davina. When you're 18 years old in 1997, $20 an hour might as well have been all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And he was a guy who wanted more. He was an aggressive guy. I said, hey, listen, why don't you go into the bank with that big old pay stub of yours? Let's apply for a loan. We'll buy a house, fix it up, and we'll flip it. So that's a great idea. So we did just that. We bought, went out there, bought a house, fixed it up, but we couldn't sell it. Mm. And 18 months later, there was two 19-year-old kids choking on a house, a vacant home, making payments on a house we couldn't sell. That was my first wild lesson in real estate. Uh-huh. And I learned about that's when I learned what a wholesaler was. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But uh you want me to continue with that story? Absolutely. So I uh I had this house in the market with some of the best brokers in the Cleveland area, and they could not sell this home for a multitude of reasons. At the end of the day, a wholesaler approached us and we didn't know what this person even was. And they, we were asking like $90,000 for the house, and he offered us 70000 And at that point, we were losing about $6,000 each, which once again was all the money in the world because it was sitting on my student Discover card. And we made a contract with this wholesaler. Next thing I know, he says, hey, put the paperwork away. Put all your for sale by owner stuff away now. So we were for sale by owner by that point because I want to bring a buyer through. We didn't even know what was going on. Ten minutes later, he brings a buyer through and goes, hey, meet me at my office. We go over to his office and we sign a paper at 97.5. Like, what is this? 
We go to escrow two, three weeks later, and at closing, my business partner and I had each lost $6,000, and his net proceeds was like $23,000. i never forget it. I said, oh my goodness, what does he know that I don't know? That was my first introduction to wholesaling and my first mentor. Mm-hmm. I told this man, who was not, not much older than me at the time, I said, brother, you like it or not, you and I are going to be best friends. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Vina, it's been t- almost 20 years to the day I talk to that individual almost every day and have for 20 years. And he watched me go from a kid with one property to build a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio and investment brokerage. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you, you, you got your $6,000 back from him over and over and over and over. <laughs> for sure. And over. Some great advice. Yeah. Uh, interesting way to make lemonade out of that uh, lemon that you were handed on your very first deal. So talk about with 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 your business, which I think is multifaceted at this point, I think you have your own rentals that you manage, but I think you also broker deals to people who maybe don't live in Cleveland, but who like the prices and the cash flow in Cleveland. Right. So, and you just and yet you described yourself as the visionary in this business. So, so what does your day look like? So here, here's what we're here's what I'm doing. You know. I'm dealing with the international and out-of-state investors selling turnkey property to them. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, my, my day pretty much consists of I have an acquisitions manager in my office that helps me uh, handle our inbound calls. You know, with direct mail, we do a lot of direct mail. Uh, we do a lot of we do auctions. We uh, we, we watch the MLS too, although. Uh, that, that, that MLS is changing, as we all know. Uh, it used to be a great source to find a property, and now it's the pickings are getting further and fewer between. So I work with my acquisitions manager, and we're, I'm there to purchase property. Um, I have a project manager in the field that works with all of our contractors and, and rehabilitating these properties, getting them ready for sale. And what we really do is we transaction engineer every deal, kind of. I'm starting to see that one shoe doesn't always fit, you have to look at every deal differently. Some houses will be wholesaled. Some houses will be hotailed. Are you familiar with that word? I think your audience is familiar with hotailing. Uh, I think you better. I think you better tell them what it is because I have heard two completely different definitions of that word. Okay, cool. Another another way to say hotailing is prehabbing, and what that really is is you're taking a property and you might go in and do a, a, a light paint job, turn on the heat, the water, the lights get it functional, clean it out, and then put it up on the market for sale. And that's proven to be a great strategy. There's a lot of profit in hotailing or prehabbing. Mm-hmm. It's in between wholesaling and retailing. They call it hotailing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good word. So we do a lot of that. And uh, and then also when we, we – I kind of got away from doing retail deals uh, the expectation of a lot of people in the hundred thousand dollar market, which is the, like the first time home buyer market, you know, the expectations are hard to meet. Sometimes they have their home inspections and their FHA or VA, and that's okay. We love to serve that market, but it's a it's a tough to always meet someone's expectations. If you don't have the budget to do, you know, maybe we'll say uh, finish the basement, 
they want the basement finished or if the roof is marginal they want it replaced so we stepped away from like a retail market and we deal in a turnkey market now and turnkey we deal with investors only and they'll buy properties from all over the globe people are buying homes here in the midwest they're doing very well very well with these investment properties so we kind of specialize in investment services Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you seem to be like sort of in the position of the guy who uh, deals with the high the high level relationships. So the, the, your buyers and the, your committee heads and whatnot, and who sits around and thinks thinks thoughts about how we might do things differently in our business or make this particular deal slightly better and th- those sorts of things. Exactly. Exactly what I do. I, I'm, the, I'm the person on the end relationships. People come into town. I'm the one always with the client. I'm the one, you know, doing the podcast or the radio spots to attract new business. I'm the one doing direct mail with our available properties to find new buyers. And yeah, I'm definitely the visionary with the thoughts and the ideas and the process. I'm the face of our business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're doing what a lot of new investors would like to see themselves do at some point. Right. Get out of the get out of the actual answering of the phones and running of the comps and going over and visiting the contractors to make sure that they're there and doing what they're supposed to do. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk about how one eventually works oneself into that position. If you have questions for Joe Lieber, 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's one of our X-Factor Investor shows where we talk to somebody who's just gotten successful in some aspect of the real estate business. And um, today that is Joe Lieber, who lives in the Cleveland, Ohio area, owns lots and lots and lots of low-income rentals, more than most people can picture themselves dealing with, uh, but also uh, has made a plan to pay them off, which, by the way, means they will probably cash flow. If you can't make a cash flow, you can't make a property cash flow when it has no mortgage on it, you have done something very badly wrong, or you live in California. And you're buying properties in California, I should say. Uh, So Joe is sharing with us some of the some of the things that um, have made him successful. Uh, not so much like strategically so much as just uh, the way he runs his life. And uh, Joe, I, I'm going to ask you a question that I, I ask all of the X Factor investors, which is, do you think of yourself as being hyper-disciplined? Have you gotten this successful because you're always focused on exactly the right thing at exactly the right time? Definitely not. I wish I could be focused on exactly the right thing at the right time. Now, I do know this. The most successful people in the world are the best at one thing. I just heard a great story the other day about Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz not only has a TV show, but he performed 200 bypass surgeries last year. How could he possibly do that, perform 200 bypass surgeries and have a national television show? Dr. Ross is great at one thing, and here's where, here's the story. I have to share this. So it's just, it was a big impact on me about being great at one thing. Dr. Ross said, hey, there are 438 things that have to be done when a patient comes in to get bypass surgery. He has a team of 12. 
every one of those things is labeled down to each person from the time where they bring the patient in and, you know, uh, get them all cleaned up and put the mask on and, you know, all that stuff. Every single thing is done by a person on his team. When he's 21 minutes away from when Dr. Oz has to do his specific task, they page him. He immediately walks upstairs, washes his hands, walks in, cuts the valve out of the leg, puts it in the heart, solders it in, and he's done. That takes him 16 minutes. From there, his team, his other doctors, close the chest cavity up, get the patient done, take him back to the room. 16 minutes. Dr. Oz is world-class at one thing. And that's what I'm trying to mirror in my real estate business. I need to be world-class at one thing. I can't just go out here and run to these properties and check on contractors and try to sell every deal that comes in and talk to every person. There are so many tasks involved in a real estate transaction from the time, even when the first touch to the time you sell the property. There are crazy amounts of things. So I recommend to the audience, if you are in the real estate business, get a CRM, a good CRM. So those who don't know what a CRM is, I'm talking about customer relationship manager. And what we'd use is we use a CRM. We have every task in there. If we're going to take a house to retail, if we're going to wholesale it, hotel it, and we follow these tasks and everyone is assigned to somebody. And nothing can be forgotten that way either. That's a great nugget. I ran without a CRM for years. You have to use a CRM. There's some really good ones out there. Um, can I can I name two of them, Vina? Or uh, I'm getting I'm getting the no nod from Mike over here no. for, for okay. being being public radio well, and whatnot. That's fine. If you just Google uh, CRMs, uh, you know the best ones are going to pop up first, and just pick one out that works for you. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I would definitely recommend, that's a great nugget for me, for anyone listening, is use a CRM. It's a task manager. It'll help, you know, do your follow through and what needs to be done every property because you will forget to cancel the insurance. You will forget to order the final water bill, and this will help you. And it'll also help you as the owner of the business, the president of the company, focus in on that one thing that no one else can do, that only you can do, and be world-class at it. So not disciplined so much or not not disciplined in the sense that I think most people think about discipline, right? I think I think folks assume that people like you who have built a large multi-part lots of gears turning all the time business must get up at four o'clock in the morning, work out, uh, drink your kale juice, um, you know, go, go be at work by five thirty. Work until midnight, and you know, never take a minute of time to do anything else other than work. But it sounds like you are focused where it is important. I am so envious of those guys. I know who you're talking about. I have a lot of friends <laughs> in LA who do that. Have their kale juice, they're in perfect shape, and they. I'm like, oh my goodness, I wish I could be more like them. But for me, no. Uh, I don't have an alarm clock. I wait till my kids wake me up for school, and then I have to take them. <laughs> I live in the Midwest. So I eat meat and potatoes. I'm slightly overweight, and I quit my day. I start my day at three thirty every day when they get off school. So you know that's my life. But but in order for me to do that, I know that I have to be when I'm here. I have to be highly productive for the hours I'm here. 
because I work a limited amount of time. And I also know I don't have time for $10 an hour tasks. I must assign those or I'll be a slave to this job. And I can't do that. Mm-hmm. My job is to drive sales, drive income for the business. Without income, we're all in trouble. <laughs> so I have to focus just on that. Question here that just came in via email. This is to askvina at gmail.com. For those of you who are sitting there going, man, this is so interesting. I wish you'd talk about such and so. Maybe you should uh, send a question to askvina at gmail.com. James said, I tried my hand at low-income rentals here in northern Kentucky about 10 years ago, and I literally almost gave away the properties. I was so frustrated with them. Can you give us your top three tips for actually dealing with low-income rentals and the drama that comes with them? Absolutely. The year was 2009. I had about 75 rentals at that point, and I was spending 10000 a month in general contracting about to lose my business to be honest because I was only cash flowing about 8000 a month and it was costing me two grand a month just to be in business. I said, what am I going to do? So at that time, I was thankful now to meet another mentor. The mentor had way more experience than I did. He had about 200 rental properties and he said, young man, this is what's going to happen to you. If you continue like this, you're going to be out of business in six months. The writing's on the wall. You're done. He was right. I was heartbroken. He gave me a tip that changed my life forever. And here it is. If you don't stop having rental property and change these into rent-to-own lease options, you'll be out of business. He was right, and I did. I made that change the very next day. I started going in and implementing lease option, rent-to-own, as-is, work-for-equity, all those little tagline and words. I had to change everything. And what I was doing was I was putting maintenance and repairs on the tenant at that point instead of on me. Hmm. That saved me eight grand a month. So it's been about 2000 a month and some turnover and things like that, but it saved me a fortune. It saved my business, really. So the big takeaway is there is I don't do rental properties. All my houses are either Section 8, which I love, or they're rent-to-own. And in my rent-to-own contracts, my tenants are responsible for everything, including water and sewer. I actually don't even rehab my houses. All my houses are as-is, work for equity. They require a small down payment and a lot of sweat. Mm -hmm. It's a great marriage. It works because no one's going to go into that home, paint the whole thing, and not pay me next month. They have their heart in there now. And the system works very, very well for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your secret to having low-income rentals is basically don't. I mean, you have <laughs> you have low-income properties, like and, and some of them are Section Eight, which of course, uh, you know, effectively, you know, quote guarantees your rent. Not not really, but uh, that's the way a lot of people look at it. And then uh, the other ones, I assume, are being sold to folks who have the skills to do the work but don't have the credit to buy a house. Right. Let me give you some numbers now. So although I would want everyone to buy the home, unfortunately, as we all know, in that demographic, it's not going to happen. So since 2009, I've written 850 leases between new acquisitions and people coming and going. Since that time, I've had two people out of 850 leases actually buy the home. And they actually happened in 2017, both of those sales. So it's very, very, very unlikely that someone's going to actually be able to go forward and purchase the property. 
Although becoming but, becoming more likely as uh, availability of bank financing <laughs> uh, becomes uh, you know increasingly um, easy as the as the market continues to change. And just to clarify for folks who may be listening and thinking that you just said that you have lost eight hundred and thirty eight of these people. I assume that the reality is that uh, a lot of them are still living in the properties. They just haven't bought them. Correct. Correct. Okay. Very good. Question from Mark in North Carolina. He says, uh, he says all in caps. I don't know if he, Mark, are you yelling at me? Or is your caps lock just stuck? He says, does he know the book, The Checklist? No, I'm not familiar with the checklist. I'll have to look that up. And he says, and what were the other books that he mentioned? So let, let's go ahead and, and get to that question because you've hinted several times that there were some business books, some motivational books, some things that have really like honed your thinking in certain areas. What, if, if a listener were to say, okay, Joe, what are they? What's less? For sure. All right. So the classics are, you know, your Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. God, you my favorite books out there. I love it, you know, and, and we all have, have read that one, and that'll get you going. And then, um, you know, as you get going, uh, there's another one, too, uh, Mitch Steven, My Life in a Thousand Houses, great friend of mine out of San Antonio, wonderful book, should be read for sure. Uh, he's a big uh, owner finance guy. Uh, and then as you get going more into your business, and once you once you have a business and you're up and running, um, I like things like Robert Cheeman books. Like he's got How Come Idiots Rich and I'm Not. He has one, um, The 75 Most Costly Mistakes Every Real Estate Investor Makes. I, I, I love Robert's book. And then, and then as far as like processes and systems, Rocket Fuel and Traction. Mm-hmm. Um, two, two great books there uh, that I highly recommend. As far as systems and processes, you know, attraction is like more of an EOS, entrepreneurial operating systems is what that is. Uh, oh, another one, a must-read, Life and Air, Sean McCloskey, mm-hmm. good guy. He's mm-hmm. out of the uh, Kansas City market, good guy. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. This is off the top of my head, so you got to bear with me here. Um, you know, a Dan Kennedy book, can't go wrong with any of those. His No BS Guides to whatever he's got a bunch of them a whole series marketing, I think those are great. marketing time management dealing with the uh wealthy oh, all those sorts of things yeah and and by the way listeners as you're as you're writing these down as i am don't forget that the very best most ethical way to buy any book is to go to wmkvfm.org and click the amazon button on the top right hand corner and then order it from amazon because then the station gets, we don't know how much money, but a taste. a taste, a taste. It doesn't cost you any more. And this nonprofit radio station here uh, gets some support to, you know, buy microphones and stuff. So um, always, always, uh, that's where that's where we go to, to buy books around here. So uh, we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a couple more listener questions. And we're going to find out some more about... What makes Joe Lieber so, so successful up in the Cleveland area? We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I got so involved in this conversation with Joe that I forgot to mention something that my staff insisted that I not forget to mention today. And that is that after the show tonight, there is a a webinar that all Real Life Real Estate 
listeners can attend at no cost called the seven things keeping you from earning a hundred thousand dollars wholesaling in 2018 and you can get signed up for that web class at realliferealestate.com realliferealestate.com there's a button up at the top that you just click it and over you go and um that that's tonight and we're not doing it again so a good thing to uh not forget to save you know good yay okay so um, joe i have a I have a question here that I I really wish more folks like Jeannie here were brave enough to ask to ask folks like you at the beginning of their careers because I think many times uh, you know new investors see a Joe Lieber and they think well this guy's not going to want to talk to me I'm I have nothing to offer but I think for the most part. Uh, if somebody asked you a question like this one, Jeannie just emailed me, you'd be happy to answer it. And that is, she wants to know how you got over all the fear of buying your first deal at 19, or did you just not have any? I probably didn't have any, but I was had the fear of being average. I knew I wanted to be something different. I felt there were more millionaires in real estate than any other business in the world. And I was motivated by the fear of being average. I was not going to stand for it. I was not going to work in that factory. I was not going to go to corporate America. So it didn't matter to me. And I always tell my friends, hey, if this doesn't work and I mess everything up, I'll just file for bankruptcy in seven years. I won't even be 30 to back my feet again. <laughs> Interesting. I remember saying that. <laughs> and really, it, it applies to any, any age in life, you know? The worst part is I'll just file bankruptcy and in seven years I'm good to go again. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that seems to be in common with all of all of the folks that I've interviewed that have been in the business for a really long time is that their business still isn't really static. They're they're still constantly, you know, having head slapping aha moments where they say, Why do I why have I been doing this this way for all this time? It's stupid and I'm going to change it immediately. What in the last twelve months, what have been some of your biggest aha moments, biggest changes that you've, you've made to your business? Well, you know, a big thing for me is understand that you need to have cash flow generators too. Rentals are great and they work. And, and as I say, if you want to get rich in real estate really fast, get some free and clear rentals. And here's the matter rich. It's, it's a funny word. When I, let me define this. Rich is being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. So if you are a person as a $5,000 a month nut, nut means it's a term used in sales that a salesman uses when they have to cover all of their personal bills. If you're a car salesman, you need to sell 10 cars to make $5,000 because $5,000 is your mortgage, your car payment, your utilities, your electricity. It's a word used in sales. So if you have a $5,000 a month nut, I recommend get yourself as many rentals as you can to cover your nut. That takes the edge off. Now the pressure's gone. Now you're rich, right? Because you have no bills. Everything's done. Now you have to generate income. That generate income, income generator to live the lifestyle that you see on TV. So my biggest lesson was have not only the rentals, but you need to have cash flow income generators. And I do other things like host selling, like turnkey, the brokerage, different things like that that help me with my, you know, 
your, your uh, big hits, as you call them, your shots in the arm, your your, your vacations you use, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So multiple streams of income. Absolutely. Let's go to the phones and talk to Roger on line one, who's calling from San Antonio. Roger, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina, and hi, Joe. Uh, hi. Uh, my wife and I have had uh, rentals over the years, and uh, uh, we love them. At the same time, we hate them. <laughs> uh, and, but during the duration of the lease, before it's purchased by the tenant, the landlord is still responsible for fixing health and safety issues that come up. By law, there can be no stipulation in the lease that the tenant is responsible for all repairs. And uh, so how do you deal with that issue, please? You are absolutely correct. That is true, and that's Ohio law as well. And there is none. So here's statistics. 70% of my tenant buyers will never call me. I'll never hear from them. They're just good people. They do the right thing, and they take care of those health issues, those safety issues, and there's no problem. 30% of them were going to call me, and that's just it, and that's okay. I'm going to deal with it. Darn right I am. Just like if you own McDonald's and you got it, you know that 10% of the people are going to return their cheeseburger saying the meat's no good, it's just a number you have to deal with, and I'm okay with that because if it was just a rental property, I get 100% of those calls. So if I can get rid of 70% of them, it's okay with me. Um, Joe, I think the question Roger might be asking is where where does this agreement reside that your tenant's going to take care of things? Oh, it's right in the lease. It's, the, 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 it's very clearly, line five of my leases say, the tenant buyer is responsible for all repairs of the property, mm-hmm. up to and including, and I'll list all that stuff payment of water and sewer bill, all safety issues, all health issues, all that. Now, yes, he's right. It does not stick. And a a, a judge would tell me, no, you cannot do that. And if that tenant called me on it, I have to take care of that. Absolutely, I do. And I will. So, Roger, what I think he's saying is that there's a a difference between illegal and unenforceable. It's it's right. not, it's not that you can't put the it's not that you can't put the clause in the lease or actually I hear a lot of people say they put it in the option because okay. because I yeah. think in in, te- in Texas you literally can't put it in the lease. Yeah, uh, Texas right. dip- they can't even do lease options in Texas. Well, no, they can. No, they're, just so, they're just so they're just so. There's a there's a law in Texas regarding lease options and land contracts that make them. Uh, so uh, restrictive if you are the seller in those situations that most people in Texas do not do lease options or land contracts. But on the other hand, in Texas, you can foreclose on somebody in like, I don't know what, Roger, two days or something. Yeah, so, really fast. Yeah, fast. <laughs> so right. most people actually um, uh, will uh, sell a property on a mortgage because I, I, I exaggerate, of course, when I say two days, but it, right. literally you right. can have somebody, you can almost have somebody on the courthouse steps in a trustee sale in Texas faster than you can do any sort of uh, an eviction that, that the tenant even so much as asked for continuance on here in Ohio. Right, and I can True. see that the, the tenant buyer has a, has a whole different attitude than most uh, renters. Well, that's what you're screening Absolutely. for. <laughs> That's what you're screening right. for, Roger, is Thank the people you with, very the, much. with Thank the right you so attitude. Much, Joe. 
All right. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Roger, and good to know that folks are listening to us way out in San Antonio. So, um, Joe, where do you see your business going over the course of the next three to five years? I see myself buying more rentals. I see myself starting to sell packages. Instead of these one-off homes to uh, uh, investors around the country, I see myself building packages of of 10 and 20 properties and selling blocks of homes. Mm -hmm. That's what I see happening. I I see the market still being good. And uh, things are going to grow. Things are only going to get better. Take more stuff down, more private money, more deals, more more deal flow, everything. So do you feel at this point, having been through the Great Recession and, of course, the giant boom that happened before the Great Recession, that you're pretty much ready for whatever comes next? You know, I've seen it all. In 20 years, we've seen the, the height, we've seen the bottom. And I know exactly how to adjust in every market. So I, I, I do think I'm ready. Now, I, I will tell you a great secret of mine that keeps me on top of my game is I'm in some of the, the best masterminds in the country. I'm involved in three masterminds, actually. and I spend a fortune involved in these high-end masterminds, and that keeps me on top of my game. These masterminds I'm involved in bring the brightest minds in each major city in the country collectively to a group four times a year, and it's unbelievable. So I get to see things happen. When things are happening in L.A., Phoenix is probably coming this way. And I can prepare for that six months or a year ahead of time. So it keeps me on top. It keeps me sharp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last question, and literally we've just got about a minute to answer this, but it just came in, and I don't want to leave Lisa hanging. She says, how do you feel about buying low-cost condos with association fees? I find those to be much cheaper than single-family homes in my er- in my area, and I wouldn't have to take care of the outside. I love it. I think it's a great idea. You just better check with that association and make sure they will let you rent them. I know in some markets like Florida, they're zoned. They could be zoned weekly rental, monthly rental semi-annual rental or annual rental. So you just got to make sure you're okay. I know up here in the Cleveland market, for the most part, the condos, they don't allow us to have any type of rental property in condos. Mm -hmm. So I I steer clear of that completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Lisa, you might want to go to the archives at realliferealestate.com and check out the interview with Linda Baumgartner about condos. Uh, because she addressed some more specifics about uh, things to avoid (laughs) when buying condos. Uh, Joe, really appreciate your time today. I know you're a very busy guy, and uh, I know you don't normally do this sort of thing, so I appreciate you sharing with Real Life Real Estate listeners. Thank you for having me on. All right, very good. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then... Happy investing.